this morning. We're going to continue our series, The Wonder of Christmas. Does it feel like Christmas yet? Uh, I took the staff to uh, Chris Tomlin last, or what was it, Friday night? Friday night, we went to Chris Tomlin to watch his Christmas tour. That helped me a little bit. I mean, I'm one week away from Christmas, and I was like, I need, I need something. And so it was wonderful just to be in worship with a, a bunch of other believers. I love what Chris Tomlin said. Uh, he said, Christmas is incredible because it, it's the only holiday that has its own genre of music, and it's true. I mean, Christmas music is Christmas music, and it doesn't matter. I think he even said, like, you can go to J.C. Penney and you'll hear songs like, uh, Oh, come let us adore him, and, and he shall reign forever and ever. And, and I mean, there's, there's no other time when you're going to go into Target or J.C. Penney and hear Jesus on display as much as at Christmas so we have to take the opportunity to just sing songs of praise. And you might be saying, I want to hear the traditional Christmas songs. Okay, we'll, we'll get there. Christmas Eve. Remember, Christmas Eve is our service where we do the candlelight thing. And we do sing some of your favorite uh, classics, Old Little Town of Bethlehem and Away in the Manger. And we sing all those, even though some of the words aren't biblically correct, but it's okay. It's traditional songs. And we know it's pointing them to Jesus. So don't get all worked up. Up. I don't need any critics uh, or scribes or Pharisees, you know, standing up and saying, no, the cattle weren't lowing. <laughs> you don't need to worry about all that. Just come and we just sing them because it, it warms our hearts and points us toward Jesus. Specifically, it points us to the manger. And so uh, we made some decisions this year, uh, hard to do. You know, we always like to start our Christmas Eve so uh, service off with a funny sketch. We do a skit, right, where I totally embarrass the pastors, you know. Um, just this past week, we decided it, it probably doesn't fit this year in, in the mood and the mode of where we're at. And so we, we scrapped that, uh, but the elf suits are in my office, and they're ready to go for next year. So you'll look forward to seeing Pastor Ben in an elf costume next year. But this year, we're going to skip that. That. We're just going to uh, focus on uh, Jesus and the manger, the wonder of Christmas and the wonder of a promise. God with us. Have you been out there hashtagging with the hashtag with Oxford? I hope you have been. We need to add more of those to that. Write something on Facebook. Matter of fact, you should go there right now on your phones and say, still praying for Oxford, and then write uh, hashtag with Oxford. We need to flood that with Oxford phrase because it's a positive one. You saw my email go out, and, and there are some t-shirts coming. Uh, we'll find out when those finally get here, but they simply, on the back, it simply says hashtag with Oxford, and then the front is our love thing, L-O-V-E, but the O is the Oxford block O, and in, in it's yellow. The other letters are white. It's on a blue long sleeve shirt, and so I'm looking forward to getting those because our church has had that theme now for two years. We've been doing the love theme. This is where the, the rubber meets the road and where we take our love to the streets, and we make sure that we are with, everybody say with, with people. The promise of Christmas is God with us. The fulfillment of that is we are with people. God with, us with. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's make sure we're doing that this year. Pray with me as we enter God's Word this morning in the book of Luke, chapter 2. You can start heading there, but let's pray together. Would you say this prayer? Don't have to say anything out loud, but say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. 
Just offer that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I am willing to listen. God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message be edified. And may Satan be horrified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The big idea this morning is the wonder of a manger. We're in Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. While you're meeting me there on a gadget or in the written word, uh, we had a tragedy this week. You remember the wind was blowing? Remember the wind? Uh, the 50, 60 mile an hour winds? Julie and I drove by the church. I don't know what night that was. Thursday night. And uh, our manger out front of the church tipped over. Yeah, tipped over. It was laying on the ground face first. And I looked at Julie. We're, we're about ready to fly by because we're heading home. I said, Aah! I turned in the parking lot. I said, can I, can I please? We can't just, we can't leave baby Jesus. And, and she said, go get it, go get it. And so I pulled the, the manger up. It's a, it's a lot. Have you, have you seen it? Raise your hand if you've seen it. I don't want you to think I'm nuts, all right? It's out there in front of the church. It's a big wooden thing, about this tall, right? The big wooden manger. And it's laying. And I pulled it up. And there, behold, is Joseph sprawled out. And Mary's laying over here, and the angels crashed over here, face down. But I want you to guess who I went and got first. Oh my goodness, to see baby Jesus laying in the grass in the cold. I swooped him up. I'm like, I know this is made of porcelain, but still. I scooped him up, put the manger together, put Mary and Joseph, put everybody back together, and then had the manger, and I laid Jesus back where he goes there. Man, uh, it's funny how. How even little things, that's probably why Jesus, God told us, don't make idols, right? Don't make images, don't make images, because we'll end up worshiping those. But I had something happen in my own house about uh, two weeks ago. Jesus went missing. Anybody ever have this in your own crash? Have you ever had baby Jesus go missing? I, I gasp. <gasps> I looked at the manger scene, and there's the sheep looking like they're ready to eat out of their feeding trough, because that's what it is. And there's no baby Jesus. And I about yelled, Julie, when I saw it. Do you see it? Do you see him? That's Jesus. My mother-in-law, every time she comes to our house, she takes baby Jesus out of the manger and puts him in Mary's arms. And I saw it. I went, Julie, who, who put Jesus there? And she goes, my mom does that every time she says. And then it hit me. Why don't we just leave Jesus in the manger all the time? Don't you think Mary picked him up? Don't you think Mary got him out of that picky straw that was picking him in the back and held him in her arms? And you know what? I didn't put him back in the manger yet. I just left him in Mary's arms because I like that better. Oh, goodness. Of course, Mary held Jesus in her arms. I I imagine, uh, like most mothers, she couldn't, She couldn't bear the thought of putting him down and leaving him alone. And I'm sure that Mary and Joseph, knowing he was the Son of God and given that great responsibility, I'm sure they were just extra conscious of of holding him and loving him. So let's read the context in Luke 2. Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. 
He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. The key verse, I took it to Matthew 2, verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. It might be out of Luke. I don't know why I have Matthew there. Somebody look it up and tell me I'm wrong. could be Luke. We know that from the story, this is what took place. And it's kind of become commonplace for us. We know that the story of inconvenience, uh, I, I didn't play it for you this year, but my favorite song is from the, was the Gatlin Brothers or something like that? It's uh, the most inconvenient Christmas that ever was, was the first. <laughs> most inconvenient Christmas. I can't imagine what Joseph felt like. Ladies, you can commiserate with Mary. I can't imagine what it's like to be pregnant and traveling, let alone on a donkey uh, for miles, right? Uh, I can't even begin to think of that, but I can understand Joseph's thought. He had to go. They had to go. It was time to go. And of course, that was God's leading. The Quirinius had no clue what he was doing, but the census was at the right time because the Bible declared that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And how are you going to get them to Bethlehem? They live in Nazareth. And, and so God de- de- declared and, and made the way possible that they had to go. But can you imagine being Joseph? You got to take your very pregnant wife and travel to your homeland. Twice in that passage in Luke, it points out that Bethlehem is called the city of David, and Joseph is from the line of David. We know that from the father's line, it was from David, but also from Mary's line, which is even more important because Jesus wasn't born of Joseph. He was born of Mary. Mary's line comes through the line of David. Very important for Scripture to be fulfilled. But can you imagine Joseph we got to go, Mary. I don't want to go. You, we got to go. We have to go there. We're decreed by law. We got to go through that. And can you imagine how terrible he felt as a husband and a soon-to-be father as Mary starts having those pains? Uh, I don't know, ladies. You can tell me what works, but they've said if a, a lady's really pregnant and you're trying to move things along, take her for a car ride, bouncing a little bit, gets things a-going. I can't imagine that a donkey didn't help much. In the donkey trip, you know, Mary, she's got to have this baby. She's in pain. She's anticipating. She wants that baby. I've been in the room for all three of mine that are born. Oh, you guys know Julie as a sweet, sweet lady. Oh, I've been there. When she's gripping my hand and breaking the bones and screaming, get it out. You know, I mean, she, she, <laughs> pain and oh, and Joseph is, and they're going through the wilderness. And at home, at home, Mary would have had people, family around to help her. There would have been somebody saying, Mary, this is normal. This is usual. This is how it goes. It's going to be over soon. Somebody, somebody probably teaching the, <laughs> whatever you do. I got kicked out of Lamaze class. Anybody ever get kicked out of Lamaze class? Yeah, Julie and I, we went to Lamaze for, for Caitlin, and they did the training and all that. I was really good at the first time, but then we went again for Emily. I don't know why we went the second time, but we went the second time, and we were already old hats. 
This is all old stuff. We'd already had a baby. And so I'm cutting up. You know how there's always the joker in the class? I was always the joker in the class, so why not Lamaze, right? And so I'm cutting up. We're joking. I'm hitting other fathers. We're teasing. And the lady stopped and said, sir, if you cannot take this seriously, you're going to need to leave. Well, then I started laughing. I couldn't stop. (laughs) Julie started laughing. She couldn't. We got kicked out of Lamaze class. There's nobody there for Mary. She's on her own with this guy who made her get on a donkey. (laughs) Oh, he had to feel horrible. Then he gets to town. You know, he gets there. And of course, everybody's traveling. Everybody's a traveler because of the census. They got to go. And so there's people showing up for business and work and pleasure. And man, he, he goes to the place to get a room and there is no room. Can you imagine what Joseph felt like? Mary probably did that thing that all ladies do. You know how you do it, ladies. The left hand goes on the hip, the hip goes out, and then the... That's all Julie needs to do. And you know you're done, right, Mark? You know you're in trouble. I don't know what Mary was doing, but Joseph had to feel like, man, am I a failure as a husband? Not even technically a dad yet, but I'm a failure as a dad There's no place for us. A couple weeks ago, I had a a situation that reminds me of this. My family and I went to Grand Rapids to visit my girls, and we were going to stay the night so that we could uh, go to Grand Valley. And my son's looking at Grand Valley State University. And so uh, I I do, you know, probably what you do. I, I like kayak. I go to kayak, and I look for rooms. And so I went to kayak, and I put in my room and the date, and then it spit up all these rooms. And I was like, whoa this is great. There's a room for $60. And, and I look at it and it's, it's the Wyndham Garden Inn on 28th Street in Grand Rapids. And I looked at the pictures and I'm like, that's beautiful. $60. Bingo. Book the room. Told Julie, hey, we're at the Wyndham Garden Inn. She's like, okay, is it good? I'm like, yeah. Did you look at the reviews? But I, the, I looked at the pictures. We pulled into Wyndham Garden Inn on 28th Street at about 9.30 at night. It was awful. I was trying to make the best of it. Probably like Joseph, like, it's not so bad, Mary. It's not so bad. I went inside and I checked us into our room and the lobby was okay, I guess. It was kind of dirty and stuff thrown everywhere, but we're going to get a room and it's cheap where I'm happy. So we book the room, we get the room, I go up and get Julie and Josh and we go into the hotel and then we leave the lobby and as soon as we leave the lobby, oh no, it's Beirut. It's Beirut. It's awful. The hotel is a mess. The lobbies are a mess. There's food out there. There's people without their shirts on sleeping on the floor. And, and they're screaming and they're swearing. I mean, literally, it was chaos. And literally, my son's like, Dad, this is the crack house. And I'm like, it's going to be okay. The picture of the room looks really good. And we get to our room and we open the door. And I opened it. I took three steps in. And in my mind, I thought, I'm in trouble. Julie and Josh both walked in holding their stuff. I put my stuff on the bed, and they're both holding their stuff going, I don't want to put my stuff down on that bed. I don't, I don't even want to put my luggage down. And Josh looked at it and says, Dad, I don't think they changed the sheets or anything. This looks slept in. And I'm thinking, we're not staying here. In my mind, I thought we're not staying here. And I'm like, come on, guys. We're fine. We can do this. And they're both like, Dad. And then Julie said it. Donnie, don't, don't do that. She can do that. Donnie, seriously? 
When she said that, I knew it was done. Picked up my stuff. I said, go get in, let's go get in the car. I said, matter of fact, you stay here. I'm going to get the car and we'll pull it to the back door. And I pulled up and they got in. I went to the front lobby, put the key down. I said, we just can't stay here. And I left. It was awful. It was embarrassing. Josh had said when we first walked in the room, Dad, I've got money. I'll buy a better room than this. <laughs> I'm like, I got it, Josh. I got it. So we get in the car and I, I called... Uh, uh, Thank you, Lord, for the Holiday Inn Express. I called Holiday Inn Express in Grand Rapids, and I said, listen, we're at the Wyndham Garden Inn, and it's awful. Do you have a room? Yeah, we got a room. Are you clean? And he paused for a second. He goes, sir, I'm just going to let you know that it's a windy night when the doors open, leaves blow in. There's three leaves right now in the entry. I said, we're going to be there in just three seconds. If you're worried about three leaves, I was worried about the three hairs left on the bed before. So... We get over there, and sure enough, I get to the lobby of this beautiful hotel, and there's three leaves rolling around in the entry lobby, and I'm like, I like this place already. We had a great night. Everything worked out, but it reminded me of like Joseph had the, the emotions of failure. Oh my goodness, this is awful. Have you been there? Anybody with me? Anybody with PD that something like that's happened to you where it's like, this is not going well, and on top of it, you've been given the Son of God. <laughs> And his entry into earth is not what you thought it would be. I'm sure Mary and Joseph, during nine months of pregnancy, were thinking about how is this going to be. Angels showed up to tell us about him. I'm sure that when he comes, there's going to be a cacophony of symphony and lights and probably you know, gold, a gold crib. No, sorry, Mary. There's no gold crib tonight. There's not even a room. You're going to have to have this baby, and I know it's coming right now, so let's just go in to the animal area, and we'll have this baby, and we'll shoo the sheep away and put hay in their feeding trough, and that's where we'll put Jesus. Can you imagine that? Wow. But it's okay. It was God's plan. Did you know that? Luckily, I found uh, Mary. um, I went to Mary's Facebook page and found out she had written on that night. Mary said, well... I just had a baby in a barn. So thanks to everyone who brought gifts, the gold, the perfumes, all things the babies love. Also, the child who inexplicably played drums like right in my face, this, this was great. (laughs) Can you imagine Mary on that night of nights? But it's okay. Once again, it was God's plan. So why was Jesus placed in a manger? Today is the wonder of a manger. Why? Why? Why does Christmas have this story of this animal feeding trough? We've made it pretty and we put baby Jesus. He's not there yet because it's not Christmas Eve. So right now it's empty, but he's going to be there this weekend. Come check it out. This animal feeding trough, why? I mean, God designed it for them to leave home and go there. It was all part of prophecy and part of this plan. Well, the manger is a perfect picture to show the world who, everybody say who, Jesus was, and what, everybody say what, what he came to do. The manger was perfect. It didn't seem like it in our planning, right? It wasn't perfect. Joseph wasn't thinking it was perfect. Mary wasn't thinking it was perfect. But the Son of God had a perfect entrance to show who he was and what he was about to do. The manger perfectly pictures Jesus' rejection. This might have been the first rejection, but it was not by any means going to be the last. 
Jesus, on the night he was born, was not allowed in. <laughs> knock, 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 knock. Do you have any room? No. How many of you ever played the innkeeper in a, in a church play when you were kids? We have any innkeepers? Yeah? Yeah? Do you remember? Your line was probably something like this. No room. Go away. We always do that, right? He's always mean and mad. I don't know if he was mean or mad innkeeper, but the, the innkeeper just rejects them flat out. But it's only the first rejection in a long line of rejections. At the inn, there was room for business. There was room for pleasure. There was room for others. But there was not room for Jesus. No room. Rejection. But it was God's plan to show the world that this is my son and he's going to be rejected his whole life. It started on day one and it carried through. How do we know this? If you look at the New Testament and you watch the story of Jesus in the world, the Pharisees rejected him. Remember the Pharisees? They wore all the fancy clothes. The Pharisees were fair to see, you see. And they worshiped. And they were all about looks and, and they wanted status. And, and they rejected him flat out. He can't be the Messiah. What are you, I heard he was born in Bethlehem. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. The Pharisees rejected him. The Sadducees, they're the ones who always uh, uh, wore sackcloth and they put ash all over their face and they didn't believe in an afterlife. So the Sadducees were sad to see, you see. Pharisees and Sadducees, they both rejected him. And the scribes rejected him. I mean, the scribes had the written word. They were the ones responsible for writing it. And they should have seen in the Old Testament the prophecies of the Messiah to come. They should have seen that everything that Jesus did, his address was very clear. I don't know, if you want to send me a letter in the U.S. mail, you can't just put Don and put a stamp on it. If you just put the word Don on an envelope and a stamp, it's not coming to my house, people. There's a lot of Dons. Now, now, if you put Don Jackson and put it in the mail, I guarantee it's still not coming to my house. My dad's a Don Jackson. He's the senior. He'd probably get it before I would get it. Maybe you put Don Jackson, Michigan, and put a stamp on it. I'm still not going to get it, y'all. It's not addressed. You, you have to put Don Jackson, 516 Lease Road, not Lice. My wife hates the name of my road. L-E-E-C-E. And then you got to put Ortonville, 48462. And if you do all of that, I'm still probably not getting that mail. <laughs> not for two weeks, right, at least. Anyway, just picking on you mail people, sorry. They're working their hearts out right now. My point is, is the address is there so it can completely get to where it's supposed to go. Jesus filled out all of the stuff. Everything was filled out from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, uh, born of a virgin, uh, the star in the sky, all these things. It was all, the scribes couldn't see that it was there. This is clearly the one. The scribes rejected him. The Jews rejected him mostly. Mainline Jews today don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They missed him. They still think it's something else waiting for him. They're still waiting for Messiah to come. Some, I say mostly because there are Messianic Jews, amen? Messianic Jews are Jews, but they believe in Jesus as Messiah. We've had one here. Um, uh, Rabbi Glenn has come to, to speak before. And, and I love Rabbi Glenn. He's a Messianic Jew. He knows that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the things. 
His own family rejected him. You know, James and John weren't believers until after Jesus died. You understand that, right? At one point, his family said, somebody grab him and let's put him in a mental institute. Somebody, you know, that's what they said. He's lost his mind. His own family rejected him while he was alive. Jesus was rejected by everybody and everything. So why not on his birthday? His entry into the world. Rejection. The second thing we see in the wonder of a manger is the manger perfectly pictures Jesus' redemption. Oh, the redemption of Jesus or His redemptive work. John 1. 1 through 5 and then 9 through 13. Let me just read that for you. John 1, 1 through 5 and then 9 through 13. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, and yet His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. This passage is perfect to show that Jesus' birth, the manger, was a sign of rejection, but it's also a sign of redemption. That feeding trough. I mean, who, who missed that detail as they shooed the sheep away? That John, later in John one twenty nine would say, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take the sins of the world. Who could have missed it that the first invites to Noel, the birthday, were the shepherds. And he's the great shepherd. The manger points to the redemption that was coming. He is the Lamb of God. He is the shepherd that would lead his sheep. Of course he would go to where the sheep were first. It points to his redemption. It also pointed to his death. The manger is a picture of Jesus' entire ministry. It shows us the way the sovereign ruler of the universe intended to win back lost children. Not by overwhelming us with might, but winning us with love. Oh, this manger is the perfect picture. God made such a great choice, even though it was inconvenient, and even though it was hard on Mary and Joseph. Jesus came not in the mansion, not in the gold cradle, but he came in the feeding trough with the animals around. If he had come to the mansion in the gold cradle, he might not have been accessible to you and me. I don't know about you. I don't know many kings. Do you know many kings? I've only met a few famous people. Um, I don't hobnob with the rich and the famous. If I showed up at the White House... They probably aren't going to let me in to a fancy ball or a fancy dinner. Isn't it great that God didn't bring Jesus into the world for the upper echelon? Isn't it great that he brought him into the world in a manger? 
that points to his rejection and it points to his redemption of us. I think it's beautiful. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. I think Disney steals the story of Jesus to spin off their little stories. What's the, um, not Ariel. Ariel is the water one, right? Oh. Not that one. What's the one? The Arabian Nights. Yeah, Jasmine. And what's the boy's name? Aladdin. I think, I think they stole the story about Jesus. Because, see, Aladdin wasn't born in the palace, was he? And, and that's the whole point of the story is Aladdin understands people. Because Aladdin was born in the streets. She was born in the palace, right? And she had everything she could ever want or ask for. He had to scrap for everything he got. And, and you know what? I, th- I think a lot of those stories spin off on what we hear about the king of the world who came not in the mansion, but he came in the barn, in the feeding trough. Aladdin had this love of people, didn't he, in the movie, right? Doesn't he right wrongs? He sees somebody getting beat and he stands up for them. Why? Because he... He'd been rejected his whole life, and so he cared about the rejected. The person in the palace might not get that. They might not understand uh, rejection. If you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, right, you don't know what it means to not have food. Jesus knew. (laughs) Jesus knew. And, And don't get this wrong. I'm not comparing Jesus to Aladdin. I'm comparing Aladdin to Jesus. He's a cheap knockoff story. Because Jesus was the first truly of God, but truly humbly came to us. Man, the rejection, the redemption. The manger perfectly pictures Jesus' redemptive work for us. John six thirty seven b says, Anyone that comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. That brings us to this one. It's my favorite one, and I don't even know if it's a word, but it's a great word. I made it up. The manger perfectly pictures Jesus' reachableness from the word. Is there a teacher in the house? Is that a word? Is that a word? It is now, right? Because it's in English, right? It works. The manger perfectly pictures Jesus' reachableness. That's what we love the manger for. It does picture his rejection that was coming. It started at day one and it followed all the way to the cross. It pictures the redemptive work. Pictures that he was with the sheep and he's the lamb of God and the shepherd of all of us, the good shepherd. But it pictures his reachableness. Anyone who comes to me will not cast out. Coming from the kid who who was born when he heard No, there is no room for you. Go away. And then Jesus says, anybody who comes, I'm not going to send you out into the night. Come in. Behold, Revelation, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone would open the door and let me in, I will eat with them. That's a sign of friendship, by the way. How many of you have friends? All right. All right. Put your hands down. How many of you have eaten with your friends? Right. It's a sign of friendship. 
Behold, if anybody would open the door, I will come in and I will eat with them. He's reachable. Everybody say reachable. The, the manger tells us that he's reachable. Philippians 2, 6-7, though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Again, the manger, it's a simple message. It's a simple thing. I hope you can still wonder at it that Jesus was born not in a golden crib, but in a humble manger. Rejection. Redemption, he's reachable. Wonder at that. Wonder at God's plan. That God, in his wisdom, knew that we couldn't do anything because of our sinfulness. We couldn't fix it. We couldn't clean our sinfulness. So God, John three sixteen, For God, so loved. You're still not saying it right. You've got to remember that. They quoted it at the concert the other night. And they're like, he didn't read that right. It says, for God, so so loved. That's a love. That's not just a so loved. It's a so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever, and again, that's my favorite. It's been a long time since I've, I've done this. Can I do it again? John three sixteen is the greatest verse. For God, he's the greatest being. So loved, that's the greatest emotion. The world, that's the greatest number. That he gave, that's the greatest act. His only son, that's the, uh, uh, the greatest sacrifice. That whosoever, that's the greatest invitation. If you're a whosoever, raise your hand. I'm a whosoever. <laughs> and you're a whosoever. The whosoever is the greatest, the greatest invitation. Believes, that's the greatest simplicity. That's it, that's it, that's, it. that's the only thing. There's no, there's no small print. There's no dotted line. There's no, there's no thing. That, it's just whoever believes. That's the greatest simplicity. Shall have everlasting. That's the greatest duration. Life, that's the greatest possession. John 3.16 is the greatest verse. Every word in it is the greatest of all values. For God, so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life why do we know that's true how can we believe it's true because god sent him to the manger represented his rejection it foretold the rejection coming on another wooden portal the cross it tells of his redemption he was here for a purpose he wasn't here to sit in a golden crib he was born in a manger he wasn't going to stay there long and mary surely picked him up a lot he was born in a manger because he had a redemptive work to do and he was born in a manger to show you and me that he's reachable he's accessible it's god with us everybody say with us with us Boy, this season, I just can't get over that message. That God is with us. It's, it's God with skin on in the manger. Why? Because he became one of us to save us. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become his righteousness. Oh, Jesus 
entry was not perfect, right? Not in our eyes. In God's eyes, it was just right. The manger fit. And then he lived a life where he was rejected, but he never sinned. And therefore, when he died on the cross, the Bible makes it clear, he became sin for us so that the great exchange can take place someday. And it's any day, and it's for anyone, and it's for everyone who will receive him. Has there been a time in your life when you've said, God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life as my Savior and Lord. Have you prayed a prayer like that? Have you asked him? That's opening the door. How do you receive Christ? It has to be through a prayer because you've got you to ask him to forgive your sin and come into your life. So you pray an honest prayer of faith. God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life as my Savior and Lord. And the Bible says to, to all who receive him, to those he gave the right to become the children of God. What a beautiful thing. So I want to end with the Jesus equation. What do we learn from this? Let me wrap it up with a bow. It's the wonder of a promise. It's the wonder of a star. It's the wonder of the manger. I hope these simple things will just make you pause this Christmas season and ponder on the wonder of it all. That God would send His Son to save you and I. And what do we learn from his life? It's the Jesus equation. In Luke 10, remember he, uh, the, the lawyer came to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I got to do? All right, what is it going to take, Jesus, okay? What is it going to take? I got money. What's it going to take? I want to get it. How do I get it? Later on, we hear, we hear Jesus explaining that you've got to Love your neighbor as yourself. And like any good lawyer, the question is, well, who exactly is my neighbor? I'm going to get this right, Jesus, so I want to make sure I get it right. Now, I don't want to overdo this, so just tell me exactly who's my neighbor. Tell me exactly who to love so I can get to heaven. And then Jesus tells the beautiful story, doesn't he? He tells a story of that expands the definition of neighbor to everyone. Everyone. Well, what's it going to take, Jesus? How do we get into heaven? Well, just give everything you have to the poor. Everything. Jesus, as he talked to these people who didn't understand him, his message was clear, and I boiled it down to the Jesus equation for you and I. Who is deserving of mercy? Everyone, says Jesus. How much do I have to give? Everything, says Jesus. This Christmas, hashtag with Oxford, I'm remind you of the Jesus equation. The answer is always everyone, and the answer is always everything. That doesn't get you to heaven. Isn't that great? It's actually good news that it doesn't get you to heaven by loving everybody and giving everything you've got. That'll never get you there. Jesus used that as an illustration to the man because the Bible said he went away sad because he had a lot of money. He wasn't willing to give everything. He just wasn't willing, and Jesus knew that. The guy who wanted to know exactly who's my neighbor, Jesus knew he wasn't willing to love everybody. 
He wanted to narrow it down to who do I got to love? Jesus' equation, aren't you glad that Jesus' equation wasn't just a message he gave? You see, I I tricked you a little bit here because the Jesus' equation was this, the manger. He came for everyone. He gave everything. That was his answer and that was his image. That's who Jesus is. That's how you know who God is. The answer, the Jesus' equation is everyone Everybody say everyone. Everything. Say it with me. Everyone. Everything. With. With. That's such a powerful message. I was driving down the road yesterday. I said, Julie, look up in Google the the book called With. The book titled With. She said, there isn't one. I said, I'm going to start writing. I want to write the book. One simple word, with. God with us, we with people. With, say with with me. With. It's a simple word, but it means everything. I've said it before, but in our community right now and and outside of our community, a lot of people are for us all over the country. I told you about on our trip home from eastern Pennsylvania. On the highway in Ohio, the trucks, in the back of the trucks of the dirt, they they rode in their hands with Oxford, right? They were riding Oxford Strong. And and you see all the things that people are doing with the helmets and the stickers, Michigan State, Michigan, the Lions. Everybody's for us. And I'm not doubting that. For us is great. With us is better. People can be for you and not with you. But the people who are with you are with you and for you. Are you with me? That's chapter one. I'm so thankful that God was with us and he showed us by giving us Jesus. And he put him in a manger, led the people by the star, gave us a promise. I'm going to ask the band to come up and get ready to play a closing song as we get ready to leave this morning. I just want to encourage you as you leave, spend some time wondering about Christmas this year, wondering about the star, wondering about the manger. Next week, we're going to wonder about his name, and we're going to uh, follow the Jesus equation. When you don't know what to do in this world, show up, because with is powerful. So this week, as I close, I want to thank you as a church for what you helped us do We were able to deliver the gifts to the Oxford High School staff. And boy, that thing is ballooned out of control, by the way, right? We started with 150, went up to 216. We found out that day that we forgot all the coaches who weren't teachers because teachers got them. And if they were coaches and teachers, they got them. But if they were coaches but not teachers, they didn't. And so we had to add more bags. And then we left off all the bus garage. And so we got to do something for all the bus drivers. We're we're getting close to 300 now, aren't we? We're, We're pushing. We're pushing 300. And it's okay. It's okay. We're so thankful that Dawn here, the main secretary of the school, that, that she's been with us at, at, at Oakwood because with her help, 
We had access to all those names. And Don wrote on every card everybody's name in calligraphy, every, every staff person. And then it was Don who told us, they're all going to gather on Wednesday for lunch at Boulder Point. And I'm like, great, let's take all the bags to them. That way they don't have to go somewhere else. They'll just have them there. And then I asked Don, do you think they'll let me say something? And she got it cleared, and they let me address the staff. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was great. I was really happy because before lunch, they uh, had a, a staff person who actually was a chaplain got up and he prayed for the food. He, he prayed and he asked God's help and he invoked the name of Jesus. I'm like, oh, all right, all right. If we're going there, I'm going to go there. I was not sure what I should do, but when he invoked the name of Jesus, I'm like, oh, here, here, here we go. And because of Don making it happen, I got to stand in front of the staff at the high school and tell them, we're with you. There's a church, but it's a small church. Well, we're with you. We were with you before, we've been with you then, and we're going to be with you in the future. And I got to explain to them, I started my speech by saying that the Nike company is very successful. You know how Pastor Don is, I start weird, right? I told them the Nike company is incredibly successful. Their advertisement, they make a ton of money. I said, but the one thing they've never done well is explain what their name means. Can you imagine that? Their name is Nike, and they've never really explained that. Nike is a Greek word, nikao, which means victory. I mean, I'd put that on every commercial. Nike means victory. Wear my shoes, you'll win. That's what it means. And I told the staff, Nike means victory. And there's a verse in the Bible that actually talks about this. It says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be nikaoed by evil. Nikao evil with good. And I told them as a staff, every one of them who are going to be with our kids moving forward, I said, listen, it's, it's because of you guys that we're going to nikao this thing. We're going to overcome evil. Evil happened, but we're going to overcome it with good. And I told them, you are the ones that were the good before this happened. You were the good the day it happened. And you're going to be the good moving forward. And we're going to win. Nikao. We're going to have victory. And then I assured them that all the buckets and buckets and buckets of words out there, and words are cheap and some of them are cheap shots, I assured them that Oakwood is not going to add to the buckets of words. We're just going to come and dump buckets of love. And I'm going to tell you, you guys were very well received. The gratitude Don would share with you, the hugs I received that day, the, the encouragement I received, uh, they were so thankful that we just showed love. Basically, with Everybody say with. When you don't know what to do, show up and shut up. <laughs> Showing up says everything. With is also for, but with is always best. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray you'd bless. God, that you would bless our church. Thank you for the, the, the love and the, the kindness that Oakwood shares. God, thank you uh, for the hard work that uh, Dawn and, and Margaret and especially Melissa poured into uh, this loving act. And God, I pray that you would just bless the staff as they, they look at those bags and they see all those wonderful things, but then they also maybe pick up the wonder of Christmas postcard and, and maybe they'll come to our Christmas Eve service and hear more about this God who is with us. So God, I pray you'd bless those that are working with our teens. God, give them an extra measure of blessings, we pray. And help us to be the Jesus equation.
Help us to know that it's everyone and everything. In Jesus' name, amen. God be with you. You're supposed to say, and also with you. God be with you. He is. You're dismissed.